0: The idea that in all situations in life, there's always a win-win. It doesn't have to be a win-loss. That really challenged me as an athlete, because I was like, wait, two people can't win a game. But when you come down to dealing with people and their emotions and their feelings and their identities and all of the things internally, there are often ways that we can be creative to find a win-win.
1: Sarah Shaw is my guest on today's podcast. She and I work together at Ehop Health, a company dedicated to helping others feel their best and reverse chronic disease. She is a certified health coach and completed the training program at the Functional Medicine Coaching Academy. She's also a former college athlete and she founded a program called Inside Out Strong, which you'll learn more about during our conversation, where she reflects on her family, finding purpose, her favorite miracles in life, and where she hopes the future takes her and her family. So enjoy this conversation with Sarah Shaw. Welcome to the Become a Provider podcast, a show about how people bless and protect others and how you can do the same. I'm your host, Justin Thomas. Let's begin. Welcome to the podcast, Coach Sarah Shaw. Thanks, Justin. So one of the ways that I like to start these interviews is to say, do you mind if I share a story of how you've provided for me?
0: Oh, that is so fun. I do like hearing these background stories and I'm very intrigued with what you're going to come up with.
1: Well, one of the stories that comes to my mind is when we had a chance to travel together to a client site and we spent the day bonding over Donald Miller and StoryBrand and how to clarify our message because we get a chance to work together at eHop Health and you're one of the founding health coaches at the company and you're part of the company when I joined and you were very welcoming and then we shared a bond around how do we get our message out there with because we we're both entrepreneurs. And so I am so delighted that I get to work with you and get to share that passion with you.
0: Yeah, I love Donald Miller. And I love that you speak that same story brand language. So I we had come across him years ago when he was an author. And one of his first couple of books, Blue Like Jazz, and then the other one that we really liked, uh, and I say we, meaning Mike and I, we read those kind of off and on together. I just love the way he wrote, but it was a thousand miles in a million years, I think, or it's flipped a million miles in a thousand years. Can't remember (laughs) one, but it's worth the read. Then him like turning his story writing abilities and his talents and gifts into business building has been really fun to follow. And it's just very, very relatable and organic. And yeah, that's fun to talk that language with you. It is
1: because, and the reason that provided so much for me is because I entered into this world of health coaching and I kind of felt like the odd man out. I mean, health coaches to begin with, they tend to be female, not male. <laughs> and then also, I didn't really know the language of What health coaches talked about. You know, I'm not into yoga and wasn't into eating organic food that much before becoming a health coach. And so I felt a little bit like I'm trying to find my place and finding you on the Hop Health team helped me be much more comfortable because of your entrepreneur spirit and your desire to get into things like Donald Miller and clarifying your message and marketing to others.
0: Yeah. Well, in all honesty, I don't always feel like I fit in with the health coaching world either. I love it and I embrace it, but I too feel like I came in from a back door. I came from the fitness side and had to learn a lot about nutrition and different aspects of it. I do always feel like the spiritual component was a strength of mine, but yeah, it's it's a new language to embrace and talk about. So yeah, I welcome you to this community of <laughs> fun and organic health coaches.
1: Thank you. Well, let's start there. Let's, let's talk a little bit about one of the things I wanted to bring up was you might be the very first Hall of Famer. On the Become a Provider podcast, since you were recently inducted into your college's Hall of Fame. So, you are a college athlete, volleyball star, and as I mentioned, inducted into your university's Hall of Fame. So, congratulations.
0: Yeah, well, thank you. I'm assuming you have many more famous people besides Lock Haven University Hall of Famer, but I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah, that was an honor. You know, I never, that's not something you seek out when you're competing or or doing anything that you love to do. It's just, you you go at it. And I had a fabulous experience in college with my coaches, um, my teammates, and it's just something that was, it was a bonus to have those accolades and that endorsement from the university and that recognition.
1: So on the one hand, it seems very really obvious that you're a health coach, because here you are, you were a college athlete, you studied physical education in mm-hmm. undergrad, and then now you're a founding health coach partner at uh, EHOP Health, as we talked about where we work today. So this might seem really natural and really easy. And where I'd love to start our conversation today is an article that you wrote. You just had your fourth child, and this is about in the span of eight years, and you realize that. You're not that Hall of Fame volleyball person anymore. Your body's a little bit different. You feel a little bit different and you need to make a decision to change your trajectory and your health. So would you take us back to that moment?
0: Oh gosh, yeah. I was not a Hall of Famer in terms of athleticism, but I was a Hall of Famer mom for sure. You still carry that badge of honor after birthing your babies. Um, over the, I was pregnant or nursing for about 10 years. I had to battle you know, that mindset of thinking, my body's not the same as it was when I was you know, 18, 20, 22, but at the same time, recognizing the power and the way that women were created to carry life and give life and provide life inside the womb and outside the womb. So I really had to toggle this balance of not being critical of my body, but respecting what it did and what it could do. However, I still always really craved being back in shape, being physical. I mean, I grew up with a very athletic, fitness minded type of family. And probably that's why I went into studying health and PE, one of my passions. And so it was an, I don't want to say I took the easy way, way out, but I took the passionate way out from studying and really wanted to pass that on to other people. But I always really craved physical activity and really being strong and fit because in college, we did a lot of strength building things, and I loved the feeling of lifting and throwing weights around, you know, and and feeling really strong. So I kind of just craved that again after ten years of gaining pretty much fifty or sixty pounds and losing it four times, you know. So I started. I actually didn't run back to the weight room, which I thought I would. What I did was I wanted a challenge that scared me to death, and. <laughs> I had just gone through a leadership training that kind of called us to do that. I wasn't really like searching for this like pain or this challenge, but they said, find something that really scares you. And so for me at that moment, after having the fourth child and knowing, okay, this is it for us in terms of me getting pregnant again, I'd like to really focus on my body and getting back in shape and a lot of just my time and mindset. And so I committed to running a half marathon. Now I keep in mind, I, as a volleyball player, Like the farthest I'd run is half a mile. I'd be like, that's it. We just kind of go 30 feet here and there. We do not need to run long distance. For somebody to say you need to run two miles, I would have to really like psych myself up for that. Because our coach was great. He never made us as volleyball players run long distance. We ran a lot of sprints, but not long distance and so for me to run anything over two miles really scared me and all of a sudden i was like i'm running a half marathon i'm gonna do it so i signed up for like six months ahead (laughs) i made sure i had a lot of time to prepare but it was just a really great practice for me with four kids and knowing that really the mom gets put on the back burner if we allow it and i wasn't going to have a lot of time (laughs) to just go train probably the way a half marathon needs to be trained for. I kind of came up with just these really easy tools and tips for myself to stay committed and include my family around that. So it was really just kind of communicating with my family saying, this is what I'm going to do and showing them that mom can do hard things too outside of just the family. And then like little steps, like committing to it and putting it on my calendar and then starting really slow and being proud of the commitments I made in that process, drinking more water. And then it just had this nice spiral But it just shows when you focus on the little things and those small steps, big rewards will happen. And so when my youngest was eight months, I ran my first half marathon. And yeah, and I can say that it was a really great opportunity to build self-efficacy in myself and in a health aspect and get back to where my body should be at that age. Did not go back to where it was when I was 18 and 20, nor did I expect it. But at that age, I felt really strong and powerful and proud of where my body had gone back and forth for so long.
1: That's incredible. So that's you made that decision to run a half marathon, if I'm getting the timeline correct, it was just a couple months after you'd given birth and you decided, I've got an idea. Let me do something that terrifies me and run a half marathon. <laughs> and you briefly mentioned how you were in a leadership course. Is that right? Tell us a little about that.
0: Yeah, that was that was interesting and such a fabulous opportunity I was not searching for. We were in a really awesome church community in, when we lived in Pennsylvania. It was a small church, but very connected, very challenging to our spiritual life. But they actually encouraged us to try this kind of leadership program that we did. We started as Mike and I committed to it as a couple. You could do it individually, but we said, hey, let's do this for ourselves and each other and go at it together. And that, I look back and I realized that opportunity was pretty much like marriage counseling You know, 10 years in to our marriage, mm-hmm. and it was really beneficial because the whole program was about really exploring and searching yourself, getting to the root cause of a lot of our emotions and our thoughts and our actions. I didn't have the Christian spin on it, which was okay with us and actually encouraged us even more. But I walked away from that looking at myself and really self-reflecting more than I ever had in my entire life, um, just because a lot of the leadership training was experiential. And I think that really resonates with me in this training we learned you learn a lot through repetition which is pretty much what school tries to do and experiences and so we would go through these like activity modules either on our own or with the person we came with or with a stranger which was actually a really hard part was exposing ourselves to strangers that we're in that training too, but it had us kind of experience the emotions that we were trying to work through. So that was a really cool, and I still pull things from those experiences. It was like a four-part series that we did that took us about a year to get through the whole program. It took a lot of time commitment and financial commitment, but I look back and I realized that was truly therapy counseling and marriage counseling all in one.
1: And that got you to run the marathon. And what what other things did you learn about yourself?
0: Yeah, so it was, I mean, that was one of the aspects was like us just doing choosing to do something hard when we got back. And I actually had chosen to run the half marathon while I was pregnant. So I didn't train then, but I was like, you know what? After I'm done with this, I think I want a real physical challenge. So Mm -hmm. the other things we learned, gosh, we learned so many things, but the idea that in all situations in life, there's always a win-win. It doesn't have to be, a win-loss. That really challenged me as an athlete because I was like, wait, two people can't win a game. But when you come down to dealing with people and their emotions and their feelings and their identities and all of the things internally, there are often ways that we can be creative to find a win-win. And that also showed me about compromise and just looking at every perspective with, okay, without compromising my own values and my own ideas and sabotaging myself. Is there a way that I can work this where I feel like I win and they also feel supported and like they won?
1: And that seems like the race was a win-win. So on the one hand, you're taking time away from the family and you're doing something hard. And at the same time, they're able to see mom doing something hard, like you
0: said. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I had to have them compromise some things. Like I can't be at your beck and call 24 seven, you know, which was a good lesson for everybody. And then I I got benefits out of that too. That was really the time that I started to embrace. I didn't love running from the start and I wouldn't say running as exercise is my favorite thing to do, but I love running for the sake of mindfulness and thought processes and breathing fresh air. And so for me, it's a meditative approach. Like I would actually probably rather run than just sit and meditate. So it's kind of like a movement meditation for me.
1: Well, and as you know, one of the things that In the fellowship experience we talked about is physical fitness as part of being a provider. I think it's because of that reason, as you mentioned, because it's not just about being strong for yourself, but it's being healthy for yourself so that you can be strong for others. And so it sounds like that was a big moment in your life of saying, hey, I've given to myself. Literally, my whole body. <laughs> Childbirth, <laughs> and now it's time for me to focus on myself. So, for those that have a hard time doing that, for those that have a hard time saying, "Hey, you know, it feels wrong to invest in myself or to have this hard goal that's going to make me stronger," what would you say to mo- motivate them, or what did you learn about your transition?
0: Hmm, that's a great question, and I think it's going to be different for every person. You know, finding that intrinsic motivation is really important, and we try to learn strategies and ways to do that with our clients. But I would just start to, you know, ask them kind of how they wanna feel about themselves. Like what's their take on how they feel about themselves right now and where they'd like to be and working towards that self-efficacy, that self-confidence in themselves and then having like the courage and autonomy to do that. You know, so it's, I would would say doing a lot of self-reflection, which I had the opportunity to do, in that leadership course. And I just had hit a place where I was ready to take care of myself physically. Now I had to learn a lot with taking care of myself mentally and spiritually too. It wasn't, you know, there's all these facets of health that I was focusing on the physical side has always been easy for me because I enjoy it and I like it and I crave it. But then it's kind of like, okay, so maybe I've nailed this physical aspect of health, but I need to manage my stress better. Like I'm running out of patience with these kids and I am not, very kind to them during the day. So I had to find ways to really stretch, improve my spiritual and mental health as well for them. So I guess back to answer your question with a client or somebody who's searching for just that internal motivation, I think they have to spend some time self-reflecting on that. And maybe us as coaches asking the right questions or somebody, a supporter in their life, asking those questions and holding them accountable to it.
1: And I think that's what makes you such an effective coach is that you're coming from a place of experience and a transformation yourself of transforming yourself, whether it was preparing to become the athlete that you were in college and then preparing to be a mom and then going back to that craving of the passion of that physical fitness and strength that you desired and enjoyed as an athlete. And so that's what makes you an effective coach is being able to say like, yeah, I know what it's like to get in the game and out of the game and back in it.
0: Yeah. It is. It really is. But I also want to be careful that like my journey is so different than somebody else's, you know, some people don't relate to the physical aspects of it. So I got to really work on connecting with them on where they feel inspired and motivated. And I know
1: that's a passion of yours is to help others be um, strong inside and out. So would you mind sharing the story of uh, Inside Out Strong?
0: Yeah. So that's a program I developed a couple of years back. You know, I was doing fitness training, like strength training with a lot of athletes because I had taken a step out of coaching and teaching and it was like just my way of staying involved while being a stay-at-home mom. I still wanted to work and do things outside, mostly just for community and engaging with other people. And I always did strength training with athletes, which was really fun for me. But I started to notice like we put so much time and effort into our physical bodies and the skills and the game. And I would see these gaps between their physical development and their mental and emotional development. You know, like they would kind of reach these barriers or these like roadblocks because they weren't tending to themselves inside. Um, it was always focused outside, you know, and I would work with athletes who were phenomenal physical players, but mentally struggled in the game or, would suffer with eating disorders or had a lot of self negative self-talk. And I was like, gosh, who's training them or working on the inside of them? And so I just kind of pulled up this idea of like, all right, we're going to have a gathering with a couple athletes who wants to join me. And I just kind of started this planning, this curriculum for teenage girls called Inside Out Strong, where I was like, you know, it is important to focus on our body and our physical strength, but let's do a workout and then let's spend some time doing a work in and take just as much time working on our physical body as we do our internal spirit and mind and hearts. And so that was where that idea was born. And then, a you know, a book and a little workbook and workshop and all kinds of things have been birthed out of that idea. And it's been a true blessing for me. It's really just a passion project for me to give back to teens and still stay involved with young girls, um, which I love. I love dearly. And the workshops started turning into I thought I was just serving the girls, which was great. It was, it was great for me to impact teenage girls. But then I started to see this is really going a great direction, but I need more support. I need more of the moms to get involved because I'm only with them for a fraction of their life. I really want to empower girls from all areas with these same ideas and principles. So let's get moms involved. So I threw a mother-daughter workshop, Inside Out Strong workshop just kind of a mini thing. And that really exploded because I think moms are looking for all of those types of opportunities to connect with their girls in really meaningful ways.
1: What a gift. So you had this idea, you were coaching others. Did you also at the time see that as a need just as a mom of a teenager? Was that an inspiration of Inside Out Strong or did it come from coaching? How did the idea come to be?
0: Yeah, probably both. You know, I was working with 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old girls for training, physical training, strength training. And we had really cool opportunities just to connect during our lift sessions. But I wanted something a little more official for myself, really, and for the girls to follow. Like, what are some things you can work on outside of here? But yeah, at the time when I was training, my oldest, she's 18 now, but at the time she was probably 13, 12, 13. And I could just kind of see on the horizon, like, gosh, this is stuff that I really want her to grasp and know and be exposed to, as it's almost the whole proactive approach to health is very important to me. I think that's why I loved health and physical education was I want to teach kids young how to take care of themselves. And that's the same idea and principle behind Inside Out Strong. So it was a way to model, to provide content and activities and guidance for girls and then also now moms.
1: And so in this COVID-19 era, have you developed an online program or what, how Mm -hmm. how does someone enjoy the benefit and the fruit of your labor with Inside Out Strong today?
0: Right. I, well, the bummer is we were supposed to have a fabulous workshop, um, Mm -hmm. live workshop, May 5th, 2020, sponsored by WakeMed, one of our bigger hospitals here to do this. We filled the, the room last time that they're like, we want to do this two times because we filled the room so quickly. So, you know, we have 50 girls and 50 moms, a hundred people in one room, and they wanted to do it morning and evening for two sessions. And so I was super excited about having the community because there's just something about a live workshop, you know, being in person live and we're all experiencing and missing that component of our life, right? The community and aspect of being live in person. So that did get postponed hoping we'll pick that back up when we're ready to get back to somewhat normal things. But yeah, I do actually have it online where you can purchase the workbook, which I have a printed workbook, which I just like the idea of filling out something with pen pen and paper. And so it's a workbook that guides you through the workouts and the work-ins. And then we also have online e-course. And I know there might be some e-course fatigue on these teenagers (laughs) who are going through school like that. But this one's just kind of a nice, you know, there's no pressure. There's no timeline to finish it in. But it also includes, I realized, you know, I'm a 40 plus woman mom that they can relate to somewhat. But these girls, these teenagers love to look up to and relate to somebody like just a few steps ahead of them. So I had called in some of my connections from the college girls that play at Duke and UNC and a former Olympic athlete to actually do interviews with. So I asked them all the questions that we ask. The teen girls in the workbook to reflect on themselves. And I asked these role model athletes to do the same. And I put those videos in that course for them to see, like, you know, this isn't just me preaching this, but these are these girls' experiences and where they had successes and where they struggled.
1: Oh, that sounds so great. Well, I'm so glad that you've had that and that it's available and that you're able to, as you said, have this passion project from the need that you saw of firsthand being that trainer doing Mm -hmm. the workouts and then identifying that there's an opportunity for them to grow in their other areas of health. And then there was a gap. There was almost like a missing coach in their life and for you to offer that. And then also to offer role models that are just a couple steps ahead of them.
0: Yeah. I realized I had, I had mostly male coaches in my life, but I had really strong, full of integrity coaches. Like I remember in college, we would do a book a year, which I think that's something that coaches do now regularly, which I love to hear. But back in the nineties, we were doing the seven habits of highly effective people during our preseason, you know? So it was like, he was kind of instilling in us, we're more than just athletes and these life principles are going to carry you forward through your sport, through your academics, through life. And so it kind of, I mean, maybe that's what planted some of this pursuit of, it's more than just physical for myself, but Yeah, I had I had really great mentors as coaches, and I can say that I I always wish. So this is the whole whole idea. I think as we as parents who put our kids in athletics, you know, you always hope like okay, they're gonna have a great experience. They're gonna have a coach of their dreams. They're gonna motivate them, encourage them, and inspire them. And I think you find that that's hard to connect to. That's hard to find these days. You know, usually it's a negative experience. And that's where I wanted to change the tide is we can't just depend on hopefully getting a fantastic coach to take our kids where they need to go. We need to start doing it with them and encouraging our kids through these guides and these ideas rather than just depending on a coach to maybe inspire them that way.
1: Right now, you play the role of a coach in a formal way as a health coach and also training health coaches and doing your project with Inside and Out. Who are some of the mentors, the people that helped coach you as you think about your journey of where you are today?
0: Yeah, I have probably quite a few. I mean, you always have to point out probably family first. You know, I I grew up with really, like I said, really active parents and they just modeled how to take care of yourself physically. I think part of my story too, that you've heard before is we didn't always do that nutritionally though. We were eating little Debbie's and score bars and all kinds of ice cream at night. You know, we never really thought about the nutritional side. We always made fun of my mom saying she ate a salad for every meal, calling her like a rabbit. And now I look back and I'm like, she was so smart. <laughs> she she was making all, just modeling all mm. the right ways to do it. So I really do believe that I had great role models to mimic Um, They didn't always say what to do and how to do it. And looking back, I realized that they really gave me the autonomy to make my own choices. And that built up a lot of my self-confidence. And I don't even look at that spiritually. I don't remember a time in my life where God wasn't part of it. You know, I grew up in a family where we, we went to church, but it wasn't just about attending church. It was about having your own relationship with God. And I remember, you know, being six and in Sunday school, asking Jesus into my heart, and doing all that but I actually just don't ever remember a time that my family didn't pursue God in that so it was just modeling really and it wasn't because we talked about it a lot it was just that's what we did but at the same time my parents never pressured us to you have to do this you have to do that it was just conversations and discussion and it's it was what we did it was part of the fabric of our family so I'd say like you know my my parents modeling those behaviors and just always giving us as kids the freedom to make our own choices. We didn't do it perfectly, that's for sure. But the freedom and I never felt like I had to perform for them. You know, we we enjoyed and had fun and we did pursue greatness and success in different areas, but we never I never felt like I let them down if I didn't win something or do something. So that was that was a really positive mentoring experience with my parents and I'd say my coach too, my college coach, he was a student of life is what I call him cuz He was actually a wrestling athlete. He was a wrestler. And so if you can imagine how rough and tumble those people are, they're so impressive with their commitment and their level of physical commitment. But he was a wrestler turned, he was a wrestling coach at the university that I played at. But there must have been years before the volleyball program started, there was a scandal, I guess, with the coaching team on the wrestling team. And they liked him so much. And he was full of integrity, not part of this scandal that they wanted to keep him. But they said, you can't. Coach wrestling, but we'll give you women's volleyball, and we're going to start this program.
1: <laughs> the natural progression, go from wrestling to volleyball.
0: <laughs> women's volleyball, and you got swimming. So you take those two, and you can stay on board. And so he was like, "Sure, I got it." And so he had no idea, which is funny because it's like I came into the program when it was about five years old. So he had been coaching for about five years, but never would I ever like he was top notch in his knowledge of the sport. You know, like I had been around a lot of very experienced coaches, like through high school and um, even my husband, who I had just met right then. But I had, I feel like I had a fairly decent knowledge of the game. But when I came in and, and learned, wow, he's only been learning this game for five years. And then watching the way that he challenged himself to learn more every year, like every second, he was always learning And watching film and watching the Chinese team and watching the U.S. team and reading books. And he was a student of life and a student of just learning more. His his number one gift had to be love of learning, you know, Mm -hmm. looking back. And I think that really got me to see it's a matter of progressing ourselves. You know, he was kind of dealt this hand and said, I'll do it anyways, and I'll learn it and I'll figure out how to do it. And, you know, creating an environment for us athletes that really mimicked growth mindset, like looking back without knowing that research of growth and fixed mindsets. Now, when I know that research and I look back, I'm like, wow, he really fostered that environment to be growth centered. We, I mean, he had certain expectations and sometimes it would make me crazy that he wanted things so perfect, but I look back and I'm like, he was just always tweaking us, you know, keep tweaking to make things even better, even better, and never feel guilty or feel shame for not performing it at that level, but just keep moving towards that progress and always growing versus thinking we're fixed, you know, fixed athletes or fixed minds or fixed opportunities. Mm, What a beautiful
1: example, just like, just like we talked about your example, when you coach others, you know what it's like to try to take on a hard goal yourself. And then you saw your coach know what it's like to not understand the game and to learn it and to need to learn the details and then he's sharing that to you but he's not just sharing knowledge he's sharing the ability to go from you know zero to 100 relatively fast so that as you come into the program five years into it you respect this coach tremendously especially after knowing that he was a wrestling coach I'd imagine
0: right right and I mean within six years they were winning the conference and then we were in the top eight in the country and so it was like Within 10 years of him starting this sport, he was taking kids. So he was a coach, you know, like he could probably coach anything. But again, he was committed to learning, committed to progressing, committed to this growth. He didn't have to have it all figured out. And he wasn't fearful that he didn't know it all. He was like, I'll learn it. And I remember he even when we were there, when I was in that my four years, one of my years, he went for two months and lived in China and studied and lived with the Chinese national team coaches and just kind of like worked his way in. Like he was not afraid to do that. So it just, I, looking back, I don't think I appreciated all that then, you know, I, you know, I'm in my own little bubble as a college student, but looking back and what I know now, he was a great, just, again, modeling through actions. He didn't always say all the things. He just modeled it. And luckily I was absorbing and it just takes me a while to catch up, to know what I was absorbing. (laughs) But then I will say one of my other mentors, and I know Mike will be listening to this. My husband, Mike, so I want to give him a shout out, but no, truly he is one of my mentors. And I know that kind of might sound funny that a spouse is your mentor, but I mean, it's, he's much more than just my mentor, obviously, <laughs> but watching him interact with people and watching him do his job and his passion, which is coaching, like he's a coach too. I learned so much about how to instill belief and how to make people feel like the most important person in the room. Like that's one of his gifts. And that's what people say all the time. You meet Mike, you leave there thinking, wow, I was like the only person in that room. And he was paying attention to it. But he's just, he's so full of integrity and humble yet fun and and connects with anybody. But it was just his way of communicating with young people that I try to embrace and absorb and kind of stay at his level a lot of times. It's like, wow, how is he communicating? I want to try that.
1: Yeah. What is it like to uh, be married to a coach? So you have two coaches in the household. What is that like?
0: <laughs> it works. I think, again, we do, but it's fun to bounce ideas off of each other. Like when I was doing, I used to coach volleyball. And so I would try to ask him like, what's a good drill for this? And what do you do for this? And so it was always like skill-based at the time. And I think now that we've kind of gotten older, maybe more mature, now so much of our coaching is about psychology of coaching. So now he asked me, you know, or I'll be talking about a client, Not by name, but just an experience that I had and just saying, you know, asking these certain questions and they're feeling shame this way. And and it's like he kind of starts to think, huh, I could apply that in my coaching occupation with my athletes, too. You know, the whole idea of asking questions or I'm curious about bringing those more the coaching psychology together. But we really enjoy coaching together. We used to run. club and a team together and we just we really enjoy I think it helps to have the same passion which was a sport but I think truly coaching is our passion and together we kind of share that
1: speaking of Mike another adventure and challenge and obstacle that you guys went through was the move down from Pennsylvania to North Carolina where you're you're established family friends you're part of this vibrant church and you have this career and life set before you and then you just feel in your in your gut maybe even in your spirit that you should move i think that's such an inspiring story would you mind sharing some highlights from that
0: yeah sure i'd love to that's a it is an incredible story and i kind of it parallels something from my childhood too which was when i was 13 we moved from glorious beautiful gulf coast beaches of bradenton florida with palm trees on every corner and pools in the backyard sunset beaches like every weekend, that was how I grew up. I was born and raised in Bradenton. And when I was 13, my parents said, you know, we feel called to move to Shippensburg, Pennsylvania. And I was like, what? Where is Shippensburg, Pennsylvania? I had to really go to a map and look at like, I don't even know where Pennsylvania is. It just sounds miserable. But um, so, and I was living next door to my best friend. Like the whole street was filled with kids. So I had that experience of my parents really when you when you do like a pros and cons this makes no sense to do this you know it was pretty much at least in my eyes you know my parents had their reasons and they had the needs but they really truly felt called that this was where we needed to be as a family and i mean we did it and we moved without my brother so it was just me and my parents and it was it was a really hard two years but it caused me to really search myself spiritually and and search god like what does this mean and i was mad at everybody for about two years, three years. It took me a long time to get through some things. But looking back, it really caused me to know who to turn to and develop trust. I mean, my, my motto scripture when I was a teenager became Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And I was like, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm not happy about it and I don't get it, but I'm going to do it. And so fast forward to... And and I love I had nothing against Pennsylvania. So I'm sorry if somebody's from Pennsylvania listening to this. because um, actually Mike was from Pennsylvania. It's so funny. I remember people when we were moving, you know, I was 13, 14, I'd always go back to Florida every summer and visit my best friends and live with them because I just I couldn't separate myself from Florida. And I remember people being like, you know what, this is probably so God, you know, he probably has a spouse for you. You're gonna meet your husband. And I was kind of like, oh dear lord, I hope I don't meet somebody in Pennsylvania. <laughs> But then, you know, lo and behold, God had bigger and better plans than I would. You know, my plan was to get back to Florida. And his plan was for me to meet my husband in Pennsylvania. So God has a sense of humor on that. I met so I met Mike in my senior year of high school and I immediately was like, I'm staying in Pennsylvania. You know, like I loved Pennsylvania at that point. So we established family and and I embraced it and I I grew to love it. I still craved, you know, sunshine and beaches as I do now. And we were living at the time in Shippensburg. No, we were in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, which doesn't sound much different, does it? Sounds the same. Chambersburg, all the same. It's like a beautiful area of the country. Gorgeous cornfields and pastures and farms and Amish. Like It truly is beautiful in such a different way. And we were, like you said, we were thriving in community. We had a fantastic church. It was probably the the best connected community church we've ever been in. We had family living next door to us. My brother lived next door. My parents lived down the street. And we were just kind of thriving, doing work and coaching kind of on the side as well. And I just, we had this stirring in our spirit, like for about six months, both Mike and I, the stirring where he was just ready to do something else occupationally. I think he was missing his coaching. So he had left coaching for the sake of some family time. And I think he was truly missing his passion, coaching and pouring into people because he was doing a marketing job at the time. And my brother who lived next door, all the cousins were growing up together on this combine. He had said, you know, we're going to move back to Florida. And I, my heart dropped and I was like, then what are we doing in Pennsylvania? You know, my family's leaving. We're here in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. And Mike isn't even happy with what's he, what he's doing. And so I kind of got a little bit like feisty and spiritually angry <laughs> again, kind of like my teenage years again, like, what is going on? Yeah, God just kind of laid on our hearts to start to explore their options. And within two days after my kind of, I call it a spiritual fit. I kind of got mad at God after my brother said they're leaving and we were stuck there. And I was just kind of like, this is this is not right. Two days later, the opportunity for us to move to Raleigh, was an opportunity. It was an option. And we started just talking about it going back during my night of a spiritual hissy fit is what I'm going to kind of call it. (laughs) Mike was going along with me. He was trying to support me in this. And he was just kind of like, well, honey, we can move too. where do you want to go? Like, we don't have to stay here. I don't know. I don't want to go back to Florida. I, I don't, why, why would we leave here? We have a beautiful house, beautiful community. And he's like, well, if you could just pick anywhere, where would it be? And I threw out just off the top of my head. I just said, North Carolina, like I'd move to the middle of both. I'd go to Raleigh, North Carolina. And so he kind of looked at me dumbfounded, like, well, that's not what I expected you to say, but okay, you know, and he didn't do it. We didn't do anything about it, but I said that out loud. And lo and behold, two days later, God somehow brought up this opportunity that we could be in Raleigh area, North Carolina, if we really wanted to pursue that. And I don't think that's how God works in all situations. Honestly, that is not how I, I don't believe it always goes that way. if we throw a fit and say it out loud we get our wishes but from that point on of finding that idea and opportunity to move and change careers like we took we took a risk by changing careers at that point by moving our family to where we didn't know anybody i just knew i liked the weather better i liked that we were closer to beaches a little bit and i was like let's do it we'll just go let's leave no more family supporting us no more job that we expect let's just we'll take a cut we'll go we did it, and it was actually super expedited. It was like a six-month process, maybe less, four-month process of us like selling our house, finding a house, packing up the house, moving the kids. Again, I had four kids under nine, and I was homeschooling. <laughs> so, it was really kind of a, a crazy time in our life, but we just did it. Like We just obeyed. We're like, all right, this seems like the right step. I don't know what it means. I don't know what it looks like, but let's start over in a way down in Raleigh. And even the better part of the story is the fact that, you know, we were moving from Mike's job at the time. We were ready for him to pursue something with more purpose and passion for himself, because what he was doing as an occupation then was not really fulfilling him. And so I was like, let's go to wherever you want to go to do this. And, and it's in a place I love. It's in Raleigh. So let's go. And we move here. We get settled. And within a month, I realize our youngest, Mia, who is at the time like one and a half, not even, maybe 14 months old. I just started noticing like, gosh, she's not hearing very well. She's not speaking. Like, I mean, I couldn't tell if she wasn't hearing or wasn't speaking. I didn't know what it was. She just made noise and sound. And I kept disregarding it like she's a fourth child. You know, everyone speaks for her. She's just, she'll get it. No big deal. And I kept just really putting it off. And within, by the time she was 18 months, we finally got set up with a pediatrician and an audiologist. And then they sent us to UNC to say you guys you know let's do a real audiogram on this baby girl because she might have more than just fluid on her ears or she might have more than just delayed speech. Mm-hmm. And so by the time we got into that audiogram with UNC I had kind of spent enough time wrapping my brain around the fact that my kid might not hear. You know there there was there were little clues throughout our days and my nights with her and time with her that I was like I really don't think she hears. I don't know. I would walk behind her and clap really loud and she wouldn't turn around or you know she would dart down the aisle of the grocery store and i'd be like mia stop and she would just keep going and i'd say in my head like she is so defiant she is really disobedient <laughs> you know you kind of just think she's a bad kid and but then i would just kind of do my own little test where i was like i don't i don't think she hears me and so i had wrapped my brain and my emotions around the fact that all right we might have a deaf child and we're gonna need to know what to do with this and I remember telling my son, Sam, before I went to bed, the one night before audiogram, I said, you know, we need to start to think about how we're going to learn sign language. And this is probably the way that we're going to communicate with Mia. Because I don't, I don't know what they're going to find, but we need to be ready for that. And of course, everyone's, you know, heavy hearted with this idea. We go into the audiogram. She sits down, has little headphones on, her little her 18-month-old head. And I hear the sounds and she's not flinching. And I was like, wow, she really is deaf. Um, I I think I started crying in that audiogram booth for a little bit. Just the reality of, wow, we're going to have a deaf child and I need to step up my game in a way. I started to put a little pressure on myself of like, okay, we're going to have to learn something new. I'm not ready for this, but let's do it. And as we're in our follow-up with UNC doctors, they kind of start saying like, you know, Mia's definitely hearing impaired. She's lost a lot of her hearing. We don't know how. know they can't explain how she lost hearing because she had it at birth and we know that because she made sound she made noises she babbled and most deaf kids who come out of the womb that way don't they're mute they don't have sound because they don't hear it you only mimic what you hear and so she was able to mimic something so at some point she lost hearing we don't know what it was from or where it came from or when but she was down like there's four levels of hearing loss and she was down in the third level almost to the fourth which is profound Deafness, and I just kind of looked at Mike, and I was, you know, a little bit like, "All right, here we go." They said, "But have you ever heard of cochlear implants?" And I was like, "No, not really at all. Those like hearing aids." And I said, "Well, they're more powerful than hearing aids. They're actually developed and made for people who are fully deaf to access sound and hearing. And we are actually the number one hospital in the country for pediatric cochlear implants." And I just lost it. <laughs> just knowing that that was God's plan all along was really powerful that it wasn't, you know, cool. You know, we have these ideas that it's for, you know, our happiness of Mike's job. And, you know, we were following along on that and thank goodness we were obedient, but he has such bigger ideas and bigger plans. That's kind of my favorite miracle story (laughs) that God provided hearing for a child that was deaf. You know, through through medical devices and through ways that is not just a miraculous he- healing, but using people's gifts of research and science and their knowledge to create something that really they created a sense for my child. And now she's honestly the most talkative, most uh, social kid of our whole family. Like everyone tries to keep up with Mia with <laughs> like speaking and talking and um so just thank goodness like when i hear her sing or talk a lot and it's not always like she's not always singing on tune which is great with me i actually really appreciate that (laughs) but just to hear her do the things that she probably couldn't have without that and without that move you know
1: you have a favorite miracle story and it's one that is extremely powerful yeah i love it no thank you so much for sharing that's such a touching story Because in that moment, it's like, oh, now I know. That's why we moved to Raleigh. We thought it was this one thing. And and that
0: was just like a head fake. Right. Yeah. It was just, it was to get us there and excited. I mean, had God told us, you know, had we found out Mia was hearing impaired before we left, I probably would have been like, we're not leaving. We're staying right here. We know this. We're comfortable. We've got people to support us. And I probably would have been driving, you know, like maybe she would have had access to cochlear implants at some point, but it wasn't the number one hospital in the country. And it probably would have been like a long commute. Like, it just I don't know what that experience would have been, you know, had we not been where we are at that moment. Yeah. So now we love you and see, obviously, there are heroes in many ways. <laughs> Go Tar Heels.
1: <laughs> what a great story to be provided for, because here you are as a mom and you and Micah's parents making this big decision just like your parents made a big decision. We're going to uproot our family and we're going to do something completely different. And you knew what it felt like to be a teenager and not want to do that. And now here you are as a parent.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And not want to do it. Right. I know it just, it did teach me, you know, you want to do all these pros and cons and we even learn as a coach, the decisional balancing tool and figuring out, you know, which choice is right and best. And sometimes what's best on paper And what we think for ourselves isn't really where we need to be. And so we got to stay open, I think, to spiritual calling of where we need to go. There's something about our intuition and the way that God might speak to our lives and our heart and still being open to that, even though it sometimes doesn't make sense.
1: Thank you for sharing that powerful story. Uh, I just love it on so many levels and it weaves into the fabric of your story. And Mm -hmm. is there something during this season of life Uh, Fast forward to to this day and this moment that you're hoping to be provided for in some way.
0: I think I look forward to, you know, you hit your 40s and Mike, but he's close to 50s. And, you know, you start to think back in the day, like, wow, they're just ready to retire. They're done, you know, like on to just falling down the hill, you know, towards aging. But I, I do see so much potential in our lives still and the way that we can impact people. Um, not just in my profession of coaching, but just I see so much opportunity and excitement around building more, you know, like we're hitting this midlife, but I still see so much more ahead of us. And even together, like Mike and I talk about some ideas, we really like to work together. That's fun for us. And I think we have similar passions. And so it's like, I truly believe like I would never really want to retire and just go do the tennis golf thing. I want a little more purpose as I go out. And I think I want to end on a high note with a lot of these things. I still see so many opportunities. So my hope is that we're providing purpose for ourselves as we go on in life. And also in turn, be able to show that to our kids that, you know, we're continuing, continuing to pursue purpose in life, regardless of your age, regardless of your opportunities, regardless of where you are in life, always pursue meaning and purpose in life and giving back to people and pouring into people. I think like one of my dreams is to own a camp and just kind of live at a camp and like a young life camp, live at the camp and provide for the kids at the camp and just have fun outdoors and just have a place where people can still grow spiritually, physically, mentally. So that's where, I don't know if that answers that question, but I think I still really desire purpose and meaning as we continue on. And I still see so many like new ideas on the horizon.
1: That's exciting. Continuing to grow with new ideas. Was there anything else that you wanted to reflect on about being provided for or moments that you were blessed in protecting your life as we wrap up our conversation today?
0: I do feel blessed all the time with where God's placed us just in location with that miracle story of being in Raleigh and for Mia. But to even occupationally, like I didn't go back into teaching in the schools just because I didn't really feel called to do that here. So I just, that's when I started training on the side and doing some small things. And, you know, I'd always wondered like, what's my occupation gonna be? I'm 38, 37, 38 at the time. And I was like, yeah, I'm still just a trainer here, but I, I am a stay-at-home mom. And I was, really, I was really committed for our family on being that stay-at-home mom. That was very important for us. And I know that's not for everybody, but that was something that we decided to commit to. And I could see my, my youngest was on our way to kindergarten. And I kind of thought, gosh, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'll just kind of stay in the surrender position and go where God leads us for this. And that year actually was the year that EHOP had come to me in a way where they just kind of showed up at the right time in our lives for me to say like, yeah, I want to I wanna go on this rocket ship with you guys. I want to be part of this startup and up and to the right we go. So I feel like being around the right people to help me has has provided for my career development and for my passion and my purpose development. So that's been a blessing as well. And shout out to people I work with, you included. They make me better.
1: Thank you for the conversation and to hear more of your story and reflect on the people that have blessed protected you and how you've carried that forward with your clients and your family and your colleagues like me. So thank you very much for that, Sarah.
0: You're welcome. This is a blast. I feel honored to be a part of this podcast. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode. Before you take off, I wanted to ask if you would enjoy getting a short email from me every Wednesday called A Kind Word. It provides a little positivity to help you get over hump day. It's free and shares highlights of things that have brought me joy over the past week. If you want to start getting A Kind Word from me, simply sign up at justinthomascoaching.com by entering your email address and you'll get the next one. That's justinthomascoaching.com. Thanks again for listening. Bless and protect.